Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, December 16th, we are studying the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom, Come. That's number 350 in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn, written by Johann Olarius, asks that Jesus would come, both to bring hope for all people and to bring blessing to each Christian. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Linnell. Pastor Linnell serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's always a pleasure to be on, and I I appreciate being here during this Advent season, so thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent, Pastor Linnell. What's the season of Advent all about? What what good is it for the Christian as an individual and in the church here? The the season of Advent is a a time of repentance, a time of preparation for the, the coming of our Lord. The traditional color of Advent is purple, like Lent, and once upon a time it was even referred to by many as uh, Tours Lent, after um, hmm. uh, an individual, uh, Martin Tours, right? But in any event, the, the theme is very similar. Um, it's a little bit more joyous in Advent because we're preparing for the coming of our King at his birth, and in a in Advent, or excuse me, in in Lent, we're preparing for His coming as He as He dies on the cross. And so, in a certain respect, then it, it does take on a little bit more somber of a tone. But for Advent, what we're doing is we're 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 cleaning house. We're taking a, a a look spiritually to prepare ourselves for the coming of our King because He is He is coming. And so that's sort of the theme that things take on. And one of the things that I think a lot of people, and I'm sure that you'll get this a lot as we go through this series, is that people tend to have an idea that Advent is really the Christmas season, right? And that's why Christmas music plays in the stores and all of the things, and we do our decorations and all of that. And so we're we're very Christmassy sort of themed. And then we get all Christmased out, and then Christmas is over, and we're like, take the lights down quick, right? But there's actual Christmas season that starts at Christmas. Advent is with the time that we're preparing for this celebration for these these 12 days of Christmas. And so as we do our readings and as we, we come in through the hems, a lot of times uh, those hems seem to focus a little bit less on baby Jesus and a little bit more on uh, John the Baptist or a little bit more on the the repentance that we might have. And so sometimes people are a little bit confused and sometimes I have to, I don't really have to, but we have conversations with parishioners because they're like, there's, why aren't we doing Christmas hymns? And I'm like, it's not Christmas, but, um, (laughs) you know, but we can still, we can still work those in, but that's, that's the theme of Advent, right? It's, it is a, uh, a, a joyful time, uh, a time of, of great anticipation, but also, uh, 
a time for us to very seriously prepare for the coming of our Lord, the coming of our King. Mm -hmm. And this, this should not be a surprise to us, right? If you have family coming to visit, um, if you have friends coming over, either you, you know, or, or your wife or whoever, they, they, they get a little bit anxious, you know, they got to clean the house and prepare all the things and we get put the decorations up and get the kids toys away and make sure that, you know, your underwear is in the laundry basket, not next to the laundry basket, because, you know, somebody's coming over. Now, how much more so if our king is coming? So this this is the Advent theme, is this time of, of preparation, not just in hanging decorations, but spiritually examining oneself in repentance for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is in the virgin's womb already. So in a certain sense, he's already come, but he will be, he will be presented, he will be coming forth from the womb on Christmas Day. Well, and that, that theme of coming then goes beyond just Christmas and getting ready for the birth of Jesus. But traditionally, Advent also focuses on the, the coming of Christ on the last day, and certainly a, a preparation is needed for that event, no doubt. Absolutely. And if it was simply a remembrance of things in the past, then the whole season would be but a pantomime. And that's not what it is. As you had said, one of the other themes that we have, and this is how the, the season of the church here flows together so well, is kind of at the end of the Pentecost season, the last few Sundays of the church year are readings regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus on the last day. And then this uh, brings us around full circle to Advent, where our preparations for the coming of the Lord as we celebrate, say, his, you know, his coming and his birth at Christmas is very much, as you said, for us, a very present reality as we await and prepare for the coming of the Lord as he has promised to do. Our Lord has promised to return, and when he makes a promise, he always keeps it. And so certainly throughout the every day and throughout the entirety of the year, we should be prepared for the Lord comes without, you know, uh, without our knowing when. We should always be prepared, right? Um, but we take a special focus and emphasis during this Advent season uh, to remind ourselves and to prepare for the Lord will indeed come on the last day, as you said. Mm. Pastor Linnell, do you have a favorite Advent hymn? A favorite Advent hymn? Oh, there's so many good ones. No, I like um, I like Comfort, Comfort, You, My People, but you can't play it slow. It's not a dirge, <laughs> right? It's not a race either. I would appreciate being able to sing it, right, and not sort of, you know, rap it. But, um, but yeah, I like... I like comfort, comfort you, my people. I don't, it's not just the tune that I like, but I really do um, appreciate that, that first line, you know, it, for whatever reason, I think it really, um, it really sits with me and it, it reminds me um, of, of what the Lord has brought certainly to my life um, in this, this comfort you know, and, and the speaking of peace. And then sort of at the end where it says, tell her that her sins I cover and her warfare now is over. And so that release and that peace from that, uh, from the struggle that is each and every day. And certainly that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, striving against sin, we don't still, you know, endure and run the race. But, um, but I like that. All right. So. Yeah, that's a good hymn. And I, I too, appreciate that 
first line it, that's always resonated with me. And I, I often think of Isaiah 40 when it comes to Advent and how, how he speaks that comfort to the people there in, in exile. And so God speaks his comfort to us as well today. So we are looking at hymn number 350 in Lutheran Service Book today. That's Come Thou Precious Ransom, Come. As we prepare to look at that text, do you have any background information on the author or the text before we look at the stanzas themselves? So the the author of the text is this Johann Gottfried Olierius, right? And uh, Johann Olierius is also the name of the the person who wrote uh, "Comfort, Comfort Ye My People," but it's a different dude. So apparently they weren't very creative with names back then. But uh, this guy, Johann Olierius, he was um, he was a pastor. Uh, he was a, a musician, a hem writer, and he was a great horticulturalist, which is a fancy way of saying uh, gardener. He liked flowers. And the whole um, uh, Olearia genus of uh, flowers or plants or whatever was actually named after him. And so uh, this guy did a lot of fancy stuff, his, his family, and uh, they, were, they were all pastors and lawyers and influential fancy people. But uh, he, was, he was also the guy that uh, supervised a young Johann Sebastian Bach when uh, he was the organist in a, a town that I can't pronounce because I'm terrible at German, which is going to make this whole study a bit awkward. So if you really love German, you have a, a German heritage, a German culture, you love that language, please don't take offense at any of the way that I uh, butcher the German today. <laughs> but um, but he he wrote this this tune, um, and it was it was translated... Uh, into English a bit later, the the tune that was put to it um, is not exclusive to this hymn. Um, this is a, a tune that we also use for Jesus sinners doth receive uh, in our hymnal, and then uh, and it's an old tune. Uh, this was a tune that the LSB committee um, pulled from. A uh, uh, some hymnals back in the in sort of the late 17th century, um, the latest sort of version of which was this new solidate or new consolidated uh, songbook for uh, for Darmstadt, and all of this information, by the way, that you can find at the bottom of the hems in the the little tiny text. Perhaps not the full explanation of what we're going through, but they list the text and who wrote it. And then there's little TR, that means who translated it. Underneath you see the tune and sort of where that tune came from. And if there were, you know, previous uh, settings, because sometimes you'll have the same tune, but the setting will be different. And then the name for that tune will be on the right-hand side, which you can see, mine and Jesum las ich nicht. And so that does not mean, come thou precious ransom, come. But that tune is actually from a hymn that is my Jesus, uh, I will not leave, right? Or I will not leave my Jesus, or how, however you want to translate that into English. But uh, from Darmstadt, from the city of Darmstadt, and they they had this this hymn, and this is the tune that fit. Now, those hymn tunes will oftentimes fit a number of hymns based on the number of syllables and and the cadence of of how the hymn goes and so underneath in your hymnal on the right hand side the name of the hymn you'll see a couple of sets of numbers and for this one it says come thou precious ransom come and then it says 78 78 77 
And and that's that's not 78, that's 787877. And that's the number of syllables in each line. So instead of being just like a standard 4-4, what you'll see is in the in the syllables, come thou precious ransom, come. That's seven. Only hope for sinful mortals. That's eight. And then it repeats, come, O Savior of the world. That's seven. Open are to thee all portals. That's eight. Come thy beauty, let us see. Seven. Anxiously we wait for thee. That's seven. And so if the tune fits that pattern, then you can, uh, where appropriate, you can use that tune in multiple and other places. And so that tune doesn't and wasn't written for this particular hymn, but it fits nicely. And so that's that's where that comes from. If that mm. makes sense. It does. It does. And and if you if you want, you can even look up in the index in the back of Lutheran Service Book all of the tunes that have that same meter seven eight seven eight seven seven. There's actually three. Spoiler alert in the in the Lutheran Service Book index of hymns that have that same meter, which is what we have here today. Number three fifty. Come, thou precious ransom, come. You ready to look at the text? Yes, sir. All right. This is stanza one. Come, thou precious ransom, come, only hope for sinful mortals. Come, O Savior of the world, open are to thee all portals. Come, thy beauty, let us see, anxiously we wait for thee. That is stanza one of hymn number 350, Come, thou precious ransom, come. Let's talk about this first stanza, Pastor Linnell. What do you want, what do you want to look at first? In the, in the translation for this hymn, Right. Of course, it was written in German and it wasn't written in English. And the, the committee that put this together, um, they uh, made a, a few alterations to the, the translation from uh, one of the, the settings that it had had the, the text in a, in a previous Lutheran hymnal. Uh, and An older one from about 100 years ago, at this point, maybe 120, 130 years ago. Um, and of course, uh, August Krull. Um, who translated this originally back in um, probably the the turn of the 20th century-ish, those people know more than I do. And so as we take a look at this hymn, um, I'm going to sort of ask a couple of questions about the translation here as as I've looked at it. Um, But I'm not saying that they did anything wrong or anything. I just, I was looking at it and I'd be really curious. I think it would be a wonderful opportunity to be able to speak with the committee. Of course, it would be a a terrible waste of their time. It would be quite beneficial to me to be able to, you know, to sit down and ask them sort of why they think uh, they translated the German into uh, certain things, the original translator, or why they made certain decisions regarding the translation of that text. So, um, for example, and it says, come thou precious ransom, come only hope for sinful mortals. Well, in, in the German, it's, um, it's like, it says, uh, uh, the only hope for, uh, for us heathens, right? Mm. Wow. Or, uh, uh, the, the, that for which all heathens hope. And musically, sure, perhaps it's easier, it's easier to make that transition, but I, I would be curious as to why it is we did sinful mortals as opposed to, you know, as opposed to heathens or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really change anything, but it's, but it's sort of interesting. Or, for example, it says, come, O Savior of the world, um, 
open are to thee all portals. And in the German, it, it literally translates gate and doors stand open. And so if we were to take a look at that and say, come thou precious ransom, come only hope for sinful mortals. This makes a lot of sense to me, right? Come, O Savior of the world, open are to thee all portals. Portals? You mean like portholes on a ship? Portals. I I don't know if I don't know if I would I don't know if I understand that phrase. I, I didn't understand it when I was singing it until I started looking it up. But what they're trying to say here, what you know, uh, Olearius is saying in this in this first line, is he's inviting Jesus to come. Right, come. He's begging him to come, not just inviting, but begging him to come. For he is the only hope of us sinful mortals. Come, O Savior of the world, this great plea. And then when it says "open are to the all portals," when I read that line, I get the idea that well, there's really nothing standing in his way. Right, Jesus can teleport through doors as he did in the upper room. He he has the ability to go wherever he wants. But in the German, it says gates and doors stand open. And what he's saying here isn't just that Jesus can go wherever he wants, but that that our hearts are open and prepared, that we are waiting for him. And so to me, that sits a little bit different than the way that the English comes comes across, right? Mm. And so then it says, um, in the English, it says, come thy beauty, let us see. And that's probably fine. But again, in the German, it's um, it's a little different. It says, um, come in unfamiliar adornment. And so in the, in the, the old sort of English translation, it said something like, um, uh, let us see thy wanton suavery. And the, I have no like idea in, what that means. Well, like if a guy is suave, right? Like it's it's a word that we probably would use in a different context today. Right. But it's but it's sort of fun. And then this last line it says anxiously we wait for thee. But but in the German it says eagerly we wait for thee. Hmm. And so the feel is a little different. Are we anxious or are we eager? And I don't I don't know. I I'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong or whatever, but um, but the, the the committee that put this together changed the original English translation to come thy beauty, let us see. And that makes sense because nobody knows what wanton suavery is, right? It sounds cool, but I don't know what it is. But in the last part here, it says anxiously we wait for thee. So which one is it? Is it anxiously or is it eagerly? Because those two things sit different. Hmm. And so, you know, we'll talk about, I think, here what really ransom means. And we'll get into that because it's really heavy. But... But the feel of the hem is one of two things. Um, either the feel of the hem is that Jesus is coming and he is this great, magnificent, powerful sort of guy and it's a little scary. Or Jesus is coming and he is our only hope, the beauty and glory of everything that we don't have. And we are awaiting his coming with with eager anticipation and, and a a, a certain, you know, restrained joy. This continues through some of the other stanza translations, but I, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy of, of how are we approaching Advent? You know, and I'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong, but when we talk about Advent being a season of repentance, does, does repentance exclude joy? And I, I don't think it needs to, we talk about a, a, you know, a repentant joy. Yeah. 
And, and I think that that's probably the better feel is, is that we don't want to lose that eager expectation, that, that joy. Advent is a time of repentance. It is a time of preparation. It is a time where we examine our sins, but that doesn't take away from the joy of the season. Yeah. And you don't have to be reluctant in repentance. You don't have to be reluctant in preparation because you don't want to lose the joy of the season. The reason that we're repenting, the reason that we are cleaning house, that we're, we're, we're bringing up all of these sins and dark places is so that the Lord can save us from them. And so in any way that we are, you know, being reserved in that repentance and in that self-examination, we're, we're stealing an opportunity for, you know, for joy because those are the things that the Lord has come to free us from. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate what you had to say about the, the line open are to the all portals, because that is a, that is a, maybe a bit hard to understand in English or to pinpoint. And the way that the the German talks about the gates and the doors standing open and the, the thought of, you know, opening your heart, letting Jesus enter, which is certainly a, a theme we've seen in other Advent hymns, that, that really brought to my mind, particularly the language of gates and doors, my mind went to Psalm 24, which is I, I, a psalm that I associate with the season of Advent. And it, it, it ends with that refrain about, you know, the gates and the doors lifting up their heads to open up for the King of glory. And so, uh, you know, the same thought is coming in here for the individual that, that the gates of my heart, right? I mean, we have a, we have a hymn like this, lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. This talks about the, the portals of our heart opening wide. So something similar here happening in, in hymn number 350 as well. But I do want to make sure we talk about this. And I know you mentioned you want to as well, the word ransom, come thou precious ransom, come. What, what are we saying about Jesus when we call him precious ransom? Absolutely. And this is this is really the the theme, the it's the namesake of the hymn. It's it's the whole sort of point of the theme. And and it it's also very important just for our our our, our Christmas season, our life, our understanding of our relationship with Jesus, what he's come to do. In the in the bottom of your handle on the bottom of that page on the right hand side at the bottom, it will give you some scripture verses that um, provide context for what this hem is either drawing from or how it relates to certain texts. This is not an exhaustive list, right? If you don't see a, a verse down there, but it reminds you of a verse, well, well and good. Um, but this this is a good starting point for us. And so the first verse that's listed there is Matthew uh, 20, 28. And that verse is this. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then this is, this is paralleled in the Gospel of Mark. The key word in this passage and the theme of the hymn is the word ransom. And in the Greek, that word is lutron. Now, it, I understand that that sounds very similar to Lutheran or to Lutern, right, as we might say it, but it's, it's not. It's a different word, lutron. And that word, that word, of course, means ransom. Now, when we think of, uh, of a ransom, we would normally think in, in today's world of maybe somebody being held hostage in terms of like a criminal or, or a terrorist act. And certainly that's true. But in the past, and even in other places in the world, even today, this, this was simply the way of things. If a noble or a knight went out to war, they were seldom killed in battle because you can't make any money that way. It just doesn't make any sense. Instead, they were taken hostage after the battle 
and then they would be sold back to their family. And the family paid a ransom. Uh, likewise, if a person was sold into slavery, because you could sell yourself into slavery back then in order to pay a debt, it was a, a functionally very different system than, say, American or colonial slavery or anything like that, or even you know slavery on the Barbary Coast or something. It, it was a bit different. And so you were paying off a debt, and the cost to free them would be called a ransom. And so it was a perfectly common type, type of transaction, even, even if relatively unpleasant. But again, that doesn't mean that just because it was common, it lacked any sort of emotional import, especially, especially for the Hebrew people, for the Jewish people, for God's people. Because that word ransom refers quite directly then also to the death of the firstborn in Egypt as the cost that was required to set the Israelites free. And so the Egyptians, right, they were this, they were this great enemy. The, the Israelites understandably sang songs when God rescued them by throwing horse and rider into the sea. But the death of the Egyptians and the for Egypt was always seen as a tragedy. It was always seen as a great price that had to be paid to set God's people free. This, this ransom that was required in order to set God's children free. And by the way, um, it's not just sort of me making that up or anything. Uh, even uh, Jews today in the Jewish Midrash, they have uh, this parable uh, about the Exodus. And the, the parable is, um, there's this story of, of these angels that were rebuked by God for rejoicing and for singing at Pharaoh's destruction in, in the Red Sea. And in this parable, God reminded them, and he says, do not sing well, my creation is drowning, for the Egyptians were my people too, right? He's the Lord of all creation. And so the Israelites, because of this great cost, there's this ongoing ransom that needs to be paid. The Israelites were required to redeem, to pay a ransom for all of the firstborn in their land, whether that's beast or, or, or man. Um, otherwise, they had to sacrifice every firstborn thing that came out of the womb. And of course, they weren't allowed to sacrifice their sons. They were required then in order to, you know, to redeem those, those children. But what this does, this ongoing sacrifice, this ongoing cost, this ongoing ransom for every firstborn of God's people made it clear that God's deliverance in Exodus was not part of a past event, but it was part of an ongoing salvation. And then so likewise for us, when Paul writes that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, it is not only Christ's preeminence in, in, uh, uh, you know, among all things to which Paul is referring, but he is referring to the lutron, to the ransom that is paid, the death of the firstborn, which unbinds all of us and sets us free. And so when he says, come thou precious ransom, come, like there is the entire story of the Bible uh, really up into this point that is caught up with that word ransom and Jesus himself is that ransom. Fantastic. So much packed into just one word in this wonderful hymn, which we're going to keep looking at on the other side of the break. You are listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom, Come with Pastor Sean Linnell. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 16th. We are studying the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom Come, number 350 in Lutheran Service Book. Our guest today is Pastor Sean Linnell. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, prior to the break, we were looking at stanza one. Here now is stanza two. Enter now my waiting heart, glorious King and Lord most holy. Dwell in me and ne'er depart, though I am but poor and lowly. Ah, what riches will be mine when thou art my guest divine. That stanza two of the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom, Come. Pastor Linnell, help us with this stanza. I would, I would, I really wish that I had the opportunity to, to ask the translator what um, he had in mind when he was, he was doing this. Because certainly uh, for somebody that doesn't know German, um, I would, I would default to, you know, the, the expertise and tradition of this hymn, but I just have a few questions because it, it doesn't, it doesn't always make sense entirely to me. Um, it, so the, the second stanza says, you know, enter now my waiting heart, glorious King and Lord most holy. And sort of a, a literal kind of word for word translation from the, uh, from the German is, is pretty, pretty similar to that, right? You draw into my heart also, O you great King of honor. Um, and then it says, dwell in me and ne'er depart. And then also in, in the German, right? Let me be, you know, the place where you reside or your, your dwelling place or something. Um, and then it, it says in the English, though I am but poor and lowly, uh, ah, what riches will be mine. And this is where I get a little goofed up, right? Because the hem is in 787877. And that means that the the ideas, the words that, that they're going to come across are usually going to be in phrases, right? Three pairs of, you know, two line phrases. So come thou precious ransom, come only hope for sinful mortals, right? That's, that's two and that's an idea. Come, O Savior of the world, open are to the all portals. That's, that's its own little thing. And then the last, the last set. But it doesn't seem like it that works that way in the German. In the German, it looks like there's only two phrases instead of three. And so the phrase here in the German is, as I understand it, and that doesn't mean that I'm right. I, I'm not the German expert here, but it says, draw unto my heart also, O you great king of honor, let me be your the place where you reside or your dwelling place. That's one idea to me. And then the next one is, I am poor, not enough, but that's how my wealth should be that you move in with me. And then that in itself is one idea. But in the English, it's split up. It says, enter now my waiting heart, glorious King and Lord most holy. Stop. Dwell in me and ne'er depart, though I am but poor and lowly. Stop. Ah, what riches will be mine when thou art my guest divine. Stop. Now, what's the difference? Well, part of the difference that I perceive in that 
has to do with what the focus is on this line. So in the last sort of stanzas here, though I am but poor and lowly, and then it says, ah, what riches will be mine when thou art my guest divine. If I was to take that line by itself, what is the actual focus of my attention? It's the riches. Ah, what riches will be mine when thou art my guest divine. But I don't think that was the intention of the hem writer. I think the intention was the guest, not the riches. Yeah. And so if you were to take that as a one-to-one -one, you know, translation, right? And, and again, I'm not the expert here, but it says, if you were to say, draw into my heart also, O you great king of honor, and let me be your dwelling place. End. I am poor, not enough, but that's how my wealth should be, that you move in with me. Hmm. Well, now the focus is different. Now the focus is, is, is the one moving in. He is the wealth. And so again, that's, that's sort of my question and that's my issue because when I read this here in, in the hymnal, it, it kind of comes across to me like the riches are the thing the guest brings, but I really think it should be that the guest is the riches. Mm. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking at things. But I think that whether it's intended to be that way or whether, whether it's, I think the, the thing we need to remember here is that Jesus is the ransom, yeah. right? He doesn't bring the ransom. He is the ransom. Jesus doesn't bring the riches. He doesn't bring the, the, the blessings. He is the riches. He, he is the blessings. And, and this is, this is important. Because even when even when we go back to what we were talking about with ransom, right? That word lutron, that word ransom, um, it's it's related to this word called luo, right? Yeah. And so luo is the verb form of this, which means to loose, to untie, or to unbind. And so lutron is the noun that means ransom. That thing that you pay so that a person will be lua, will be loosed from their bonds of slavery. And the word lutron, that noun, that ransom, it really only shows up in the Bible twice. It shows up here in Matthew that we talked about. It shows up in the parallel passage in Mark. But, but the word to loose or to unbind, that shows up a lot. It shows up uh, almost four dozen times. And some of those passages where that word shows up make a lot of sense with that theme of ransom. Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath, and he luo, he sets her free. But it gives us a little bit of better understanding of what it is that Jesus is doing when he sets these people free, and how those miracles are connected with the forgiveness that he brings, the forgiveness of sins, and how that forgiveness comes about. And so then likewise, in some very uh, familiar passages that we all know, you know he says, um, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, it's that same word, luo, right? And and what this means is not, you know, palpal infallibility that he gets to go talking about whatever silly nonsense he wants. This passage is directly related to the forgiveness of sins, the releasing of a person from the ransom that they owe, and their slavery to sin and death. That's that's why it's called the office of the keys, right? It's not a gatekeeper to lock up the truth, but it's a, a fellow prisoner who's been throw the key, thrown the keys to unlock the shackles of all the other people who are within and in prison with us. These, this forgiveness that Jesus brings is not different than, than Jesus himself. And so as we're reading through you know, this, like, this is really easy to see in the Advent season, right? Who are we preparing for? 
it's Jesus. And I just, I don't know, I kind of wish that that second stanza would make that a little bit more clear, hmm. um, that it's not the richings or blessings or whatever, it's Jesus. He is those things. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you, that the riches are our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the way we should understand it. And I, I do know from from some translation work and some hymn writing that it's not always easy to take a hymn that's in a different language and it's poetry in a different language and then convert that into poetry in a language that wasn't written in originally. And so, yeah. but I, I understand the way that you're, you're helping us to understand the stanza, I think is right on, especially with that last line that, you know, what riches will be mine when, when thou art my guest divine, that, that we only have the riches if Christ is our guest and, and the riches are in fact, Christ, our guest. My, my mind goes to, to a hymn that at least in English perhaps says it more clearly the hymn, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. Thou art the portion I have sought. You know, that if, if I didn't have you, I, w- I would not have anything. And, and if I had everything in heaven and on earth, but I didn't have Christ, I would have no riches at all. Christ alone, he is my riches, my wealth. And, and so, yeah, I, but I, I think that's the right way to understand this stanza, to see that Christ coming, that is where true riches are found. And that's what this stanza invites us to pray for, that Christ would come and dwell with us and thus give us those riches. Riches, even if maybe the English could could say it a little bit clearer, but but I, I think we can still sing it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And none of the things that I'm saying, you know, here as I'm doing this translation would fit into the music, right? right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, please don't, you know, don't interpret the things that I say here, you know, if you're listening as, you know, me being arrogant or thinking I know better than somebody else. You know, people that have really dedicated their lives have a lot more expertise than I do in, in music and in poetry. I really would prefer, if anything, just to to have these be understood as, you know, questions that we can think about. And and like you had said, an understanding that as we're reading this, that this really is the intention of the hymn. And I think so long as our heart is there, then again, that's that's great. And it's a beautiful hymn and I, I love singing it. So it's not it's not meant for me to, I'm not trying to poop on anybody. You That's know? right. Very good. Very good. And we, I appreciate that. It's, it is helpful when, when, when you're able to take a look at the, the original text and to see some of those, those things that don't always come through in a translation, because it's just hard to get that emphasis through to see the emphasis of the hymn writer is a, a fantastic thing. So let's take a look now at stanza three. Can we do, Oh, go ahead. Sure. And four, can we do three and four together? Cause I think thematically they, they fit together they're talking about the same thing pretty okay. pretty well. All right, sounds good. So this is stanzas three and four of the hymn. My hosannas and my palms graciously receive, I pray thee. Evermore as best I can, Savior, I will homage pay thee. And in faith I will embrace, Lord, thy merit through thy grace. Hail, Hosanna, David's son. Jesus, hear our supplication. Let thy kingdom, scepter, crown, bring us blessing and salvation, that forever we may sing, Hail, Hosanna to our King. That's stanzas three and four of the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom Come. So thematically, well, even just verbally, you see the word Hosanna in both stanzas. And thematically, I think we're being drawn to Palm Sunday here, which, you know, we're a little bit later in the season of Advent now as this is airing. But certainly Palm Sunday stands pretty prominent in Advent on the first Sunday. So take us into these these two stanzas. So Jesus coming to be the ransom, and he's he's coming— um, and where he's going to pay that ransom, of course, is in is in Jerusalem. And so I, I think the 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 greater theme 
sort of beyond him coming at his birth, um, that he was he was always on this journey to Jerusalem and to the cross to to pay that ransom. And it, it expands our understanding from this hymn of what it means when we're we're asking him to come, right? Are we asking him to come and and to be born into the world? Are we talking about him coming to accomplish his work? Are we talking about him coming again in the last days? He promised that he would. And so the hem uh, in in this uh, allows us to expand kind of what we're talking about and use it not only for advent, but really use it at at any point in time. You know the sort of the really well-known or common table prayer, right? Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. Yeah, sure. Um, but you didn't set a place for him. Like, so that'll be awkward if he shows up. <laughs> but otherwise, I think when we do that, if we understand that we would, you know, we would say, you know, come, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. It's sort of an, an elementary or a, um, a juvenile way to say it. But the idea is sound. And it fits in with this hymn. We're asking the Lord to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come right now. You don't even have to wait for us to finish eating, right? Dad burned the pizza. It's not going to be that good. And so all of these things, we're asking him to come and to be our guest. You know, I know that that's sort of a cute way of saying that. But really what we're saying is that we're prepared to welcome him. And so, you know, as as elementary or simple as that prayer is, I think that there's some depth to it if you want there to be. And so here as he's, as we're singing, you know, my hosannas and my palms, absolutely, we're talking about Palm Sunday. And, and again, if you look in the hymnal, you look in the bottom, uh, Matthew uh, 20, 28 is the first verse there. And then it also says 21, 21, 5. And so this is this is talking about that. And so Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, right? He's he's coming in, and what they're what they're calling out is is Hosanna. And so, one of the things that this means when they're calling out Hosanna is to save now. They're calling out for the Lord to save them, to save them in an immediate sense. We need saving now, Hosanna, right? This this means to save us. And so, as we're as we're looking through. How is it that he's going to save us? He's going to pay the ransom. How is he going to pay the ransom? Well, you who have purchased and won me, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent and bitter suffering and death. So this is what he's come to do. And that's what he had come to do when he's riding in on Jeru- when he's riding into Jerusalem. You know, he's he's coming in to do that. And so there's there's this wonderful joy and celebration and all these other things, but he knows what he's writing in for. Mm. Now, certainly this is, you know, not, um, I don't know, it shouldn't be our instructor, but I, I thought it was, was actually sort of a, a pretty decent note. Uh, do you ever see that uh, Jesus Christ superstar, like the, uh, I don't know, the old one with, I don't think it was Ted Neely, it was Jesus or something, wasn't he? I probably have seen it at one point, but it's been quite a while. So it's this interesting thing. They they show the the scene where he's riding into Jerusalem and everybody's sort of uh, singing. Oh, it's Hazana and, Hosanna, right? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's, um, you know, the one line is, hey, JC, hey, JC, will you die for me? And then the music actually has a bit of uh, a dissonance or perhaps it's a, a minor interval to it. And sort of it slows down for a moment because what he's doing 
or what the excuse me the um the 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 author is doing is acknowledging that that's what he's coming in for like everybody is celebrating and doing their thing but he's coming in to die and it, and that was always the case that was and it's not it's not like that was a secret like he told them multiple times and, and you know and they sort of blew him off but but that's what he's coming in to do he's coming in to die and to pay the ransom graciously uh graciously receive i pray thee uh, evermore as best i can savior i will homage pay and in faith i will embrace lord thy merit through thy grace and so again uh it's just this this wonderful sort of line that as he comes in um certainly we should acknowledge him and and give him praise and the like but the last line, and in faith I will embrace, Lord, thy merit through thy grace. I don't think we should be afraid of the word merit in that. You know, we're not talking about a, you know, a system of merits and demerits and penance mm-hmm. and everything else. But really what, what he's referring to here is that uh, by faith we receive his, his grace. And the merit here is referring to the work of Christ in paying of that ransom. So if we can, if we can, you know, put aside our fear of, you know, Roman Catholicism for a minute, I think it's, it's really, really a pretty beautiful line and it's pretty darn Lutheran too. You oh, know, I, I think so. I mean, and particularly in, in the context of, you know, the first part of that evermore as best I can, I will, I will pay you homage that I, I will worship you as best I can. Mm-hmm. But ultimately the worship that we have of, of Christ is faith. I mean, that's, that's very Lutheran. That's straight out of the confessions that the, the true worship of Christ is to receive his gifts and we receive his gifts in faith. And that's what that, that last stands or that last line says, I think very clearly, or at mm-hmm. least, you know, even in the language of merit, but that's, that that's very Lutheran, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, again, you know, Lutheran, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's Christian. This is, right. this is as the Bible directs us. And, um, and so that's, it's really just a, a fantastic, a, a fantastic line. Um, and then this, the last stanza, uh, hail Hosanna, David's son, Jesus, hear our supplication. Uh, let thy kingdom, well, let's stop there for a second. Cause this is also sort of interesting uh, to me as I was, as I was going through the German, I'm sure that this was, um, some uh, colloquialism of, of German that would make more sense uh, to them than it does us. But the, the line here um, is, uh, Oh Lord, help, let probably success. And, uh, and that seems a little awkward to me, it, it, but it makes sense to them. But it's not, you know, Oh Lord, um, maybe let us be successful. Uh, but I, I think in a, a non-musical way, it would actually be like, Oh Lord, help us. Give us, give us a chance. Cause we've got none. Right. And so the, the interesting part, the way that that comes across, I think a little bit better in English is that um, we, we are done for without you. We don't have, we don't have, we don't even have a chance. And so it's, you know, Jesus, hear our supplication. I think, you know, we kind of have to put that in because it makes sense for the song. But one of the things that we miss, I think, in, in the German is just in the words, this acknowledgement that without you, we have nothing. We have absolutely no hope. Um, and so, you know, please, Lord, uh, you know, be that hope for us because without you, we have nothing. 
And then there's this line. It says, let thy kingdom, scepter, crown, bring us blessing and salvation. Um, the word there for let thy kingdom, scepter, crown is, is loss, right? Hmm. And we've used that in other places in the German. But anytime that I had put it through any of the, the places where I was getting translations online, it didn't translate it as let thy kingdom scepter crown, but leave thy kingdom scepter crown. And I always thought that was weird. I was like, that's got to be some sort of quirk, right? So I tried a bunch of different ways to, you know, put them in and a bunch of different translators. And it always kicked it back out the same as leave thy kingdom scepter crown. If you look at the bottom of the page where it says, mine and Jesum las ich nicht, that's also hmm. that last word that there is also talking about leave, right? My Jesus, uh, I will never leave. Not, I will never let. Hmm. Now, I, I don't know because I don't speak German and I wasn't on the committee and I'm not the translator, but it's, it's an interesting difference. Because if you translate it in the English as let thy kingdom, scepter, crown, bring us blessing and salvation, well, what does that mean? It means, you know, if, if this is your kingdom, this is your crown, you know, you let you being all of these things be the thing that brings us blessing and salvation. Perfectly appropriate, makes sense, fits in with the theme of the hem and the season. That's great. If you do it as leave thy kingdom, scepter, crown, bring us blessing and salvation also completely appropriate also makes sense but it emphasizes a different point is jesus you know being the the you know the king with his scepter and crown the thing that brings us blessing and salvation or is it that he leaves those things in a certain sense and becomes humble and in that way then also raises us up both of those things are true it just depends on what what you know passage or what thing you're trying to emphasize in the moment and i appreciate very much that uh, at least to a layperson the language is ambiguous enough that we get to do both hmm. Hmm. yeah okay so so leave thy scepter kingdom crown you're suggesting perhaps we we should think of jesus leaving behind his heavenly glory for what he did in the Palm I mean, Palm Sunday being the one of the great examples of that, that he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on this humble animal, showing how he has, in fact, come to be our king, which happens when he gives himself as the ransom at the end of that week into death on the cross, or or then the, the way that it, I think it more naturally reads in the English that we have it here, that his the fact that he is our king, and that represented through a, both a scepter and a crown, that makes that gives us blessing and salvation. So, so perhaps, I mean, and within the context of the season of Advent, I think you see both of those, how when he came the first time in humility and left behind his heavenly glory, that was to give us blessing and salvation. And now as we look forward to him coming as a king, when no one will mistake him at all, they will know that he has the crown and the scepter. That too brings us blessing and salvation as Christians. So we see that in, in both of those comings that we, we focus on in Advent. I, th I think that's true. I think I think what I was going for a little bit was that we, we don't have to choose. They happen both at the same okay. time. So, for example, um, Jesus' coronation as king, like that happens in Pilate's place with a crown of thorns being mocked 
and having his scepter ripped from him and beat over his own head. And the throne upon which they place him is the cross with the very title inscribed at the, at the top, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They were mocking him, but everything that they were doing in mockery would have been appropriate if they weren't mocking him. Hmm. And so at the same time that Jesus is, in a sense, leaving his glory behind, he is doing the thing that glorifies him. And so instead of necessarily um, thinking of Christ's uh, throne and crown as the, the glories of the heavens, like our artwork and all of the depictions and the places to which we direct ourselves are not Jesus ascended in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father, but we still direct our attention to his crown and his throne, which is the the crown of thorns and the cross where he shed his blood. And so this imagery of where he would, in a sense, leave behind his glory has become the thing that glorifies him above all. For what other God is there that loves his people, that sacrifices as much, and that does such things? You can find hundreds of false gods that have great thrones and magnificent crowns and scepters and gold and jewels and everything else. But what other God dies for his people? What other God forgives sinners? What other God pays the ransom, which is his own blood? And so in, in the same way that I think the language we, we would say more naturally looks towards the, the uh, um, more common image of, of glory and crown and scepter, there is a subtext to it which always draws us to the theology of the cross rather than the theology of glory. And again, both of those things are true, for is not Christ descended? Does he not sit at the right hand of God? Is he not glorified above all and in the heavens and all of the... Of course he is. Of course he is. But he still comes to us in in with and under bread and wine. He still comes to us as a, as a forgiving God. He still comes to us humble and a donkey. So again, I don't, I don't think we have to choose, and I just appreciate that the language there, in, in the English at least, and, and perhaps in the German, uh, grants us just a glimpse, just an opportunity to contemplate that, that he does both. Hmm. And because he does both, we do sing forever to him, Hail Hosanna, now and <laughs> always. Pastor Sean Linnell is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, helping us today with the hymn, Come Thou Precious Ransom Come, number 350 in Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Linnell, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you'd like to let us know what your favorite Advent hymn is, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn or Advent hymns are. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.